1: the disciples to get your priorities straight. Get your priorities straight. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put under his own authority. He was saying that worrying about the restoration of Israel is not your priority. Preaching the gospel, that's your priority. Brothers and sisters, I believe that worrying about the restoration of America is not our priority. I believe that preaching the gospel message is our priority.
0: There's a lot we can focus on in this world. Much of it is good and helps others. But should it be our top priority? In today's message, Pastor Dave will remind us that our most important duty on this earth is to share the truth and hope of the gospel. This should top everything else we do and every move we make. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 1 as he begins his message, It's Not For Us To Know.
1: Today, we're going to continue in our study in the book of Acts. So, if you would open up your Bibles to Acts 1, verses 6 and 7, we'll begin. Acts 1, verses 6 and 7, I'll read aloud if you will read silently. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Therefore, he starts out with. He starts out with the word therefore. And I'm sure you've heard it before that when you see the word therefore in a text, you have to find out what it's there for. He's referring to the promise of the Father. He just got finished telling the disciples to wait for the promise of the Father. And last week, we spoke about the Holy Spirit in great detail. And we're going to speak about the Holy Spirit again in next week's message. So he says, therefore, because of everything I told you about the Holy Spirit, because I want you to wait for the promise of the Father, clearly the overpowering theme in Acts 1 from verses 4 to 8 is the Holy Spirit. So we're still talking about the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. Jesus gave his disciples a command to wait for the promise of the Father. He said, wait in Jerusalem. He went on to tell them that you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Like I said, next we're going to do verse 8. In that study, Jesus will describe to the disciples the value of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And He would tell them how this will make them a powerful witness for Him and how they had the privilege enough to see and hear the things that Jesus did and now they were going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and actually do these things, apply what they have learned. They're going to apply what Jesus taught them. And it's my hope. And my prayer that as we study these books, as we go through the Bible line by line, verse upon verse, precept upon precept, which is the way we do it here at Calvary Chapel, is that you will learn to apply this word to your life. Because without application, the word basically is useless. In fact, a friend of mine is doing a study and he said, actions speak louder than words. Wasn't that the one? So your actions that you do in front of people speak much louder than sometimes when you hit them over the head with this. Because this doesn't make sense to them, but your actions do. And they see your actions and they look, "Mm hmm. And this person calls himself a Christian, why are they doing this? And they're confused. So your walk has to match your talk. So that's what Jesus says, and you need the Holy Spirit to do that. You can't do that without the Holy Spirit. So Jesus tells his disciples to wait, wait in Jerusalem. So as they continued along, and as we continue along in this beautiful book of the book of Acts, and we're only in chapter 1, we find in the middle of these verses, in the middle of verses 4 and 5 to 8, which clearly talk about the Holy Spirit, we find this verse sits here, and the disciples ask a very interesting question. They ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, the first couple times I read this, I thought like, wow, they just don't get it, do they? They just aren't thinking wisely. But in all reality, this is a fair question. It's a pretty fair question given the circumstances. Because if you remember, we said that for 40 days that Jesus, after His resurrection, He spent with the disciples and He talked to them and explained to them and opened their understanding, the Scripture says, to what He was in the Old Testament. Because that's all they had. What He was and how He appeared in the Scriptures. That's what Jesus did for 40 days. So This is a good question for them to ask. They had been hoping that he would restore Israel to its sovereignty. They were hoping that he would remove the rule of Rome in Israel's life and that Israel would take their proper place as a sovereign nation, the one that God intended them to be. But their hopes had been dashed when Jesus was crucified. Can you imagine? thinking that this was the Messiah that they read about, the conquering Messiah that they've read about, not knowing that this was the suffering Messiah that they also read about. But this was a conquering Messiah, and he was going to take over and kick Rome out and restore the kingdom of Israel. So when he was crucified on the cross, they were dashed. Their hopes were, ugh. But their hope, again, was renewed at the resurrection. Oh, he's back. All right, we can now go. So when they asked these things, Moments before Jesus' ascension into heaven, they asked this stuff, are you going to now restore the kingdom? Is it time? Their question echoed a voice of hope. Even though it was misplaced hope, they hoped in a political restoration, not a spiritual restoration. They hoped for an earthly kingdom, not a spiritual kingdom. So their hope was kind of misplaced. They wanted to see Israel in its autonomy, ruling itself as it once did. Our hope, however, is in Jesus Christ's return. That's where the Christian bases their hope, in the return of Jesus Christ. And I is my prayer that that is where you're placing your hope today, in the hope of the soon and imminent return of Jesus Christ, coming for His church, coming to take us out of this place and to restore us to Him, which is far more important than anything else we can think of. That's my prayer. So how important is hope? How important is hope in our human nature? We all need to hope for something. Where do you place your hope? In what do you hope? Because everyone hopes for something. As Christians, we indeed have many things to be hopeful for. All you have to do is read through the scriptures to find the promise after promise after promise of the Father in the Scriptures, and we place our hope in those promises. However, a non-Christian, there's very little that they might hope for. And their search for hope continues. The non-Christian searches for hope. I remember when I was not a Christian, all I wanted to do was search for different things. I had a hope of a happy life, a hope of a, a happy marriage, a hope of happy work, a happy career, and a wealthy living. That was my hope, and it didn't work out that way. To get my hope turned into despair, because it wasn't being fulfilled. What I thought was important wasn't happening in my life. So I started to take and help my hope help. I helped my hope out, drugs, sex rock and roll, all those wonderful things that I put into my life that would make me better and make me happy and fulfill my hope. I see smiles. Some of you tried that. Some of you are thinking, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, scars, and stuff to prove it. Yeah. We're filling our hope with all these useless things, and we were wondering why we were never happy. Why we were never satisfied. We were always in despair. I don't know about you, but after I would get done a night of binging or doing whatever it was I was doing, I was always left with more despair. I couldn't understand why the hope was never fulfilled. Why the hope in me never came to the top. Why I was still struggling. I couldn't understand that. The lack of hope is driving non-Christians into the sorts of evils and harming things to themselves. You have drug abuse, alcoholism, suicide, depression, sexual promiscuity, all these behaviors which are commonplace in our societies. Did you know that today, suicide is the largest cause of death in Europe? Now, you might think, well, okay, but do you know that they call Europe Day when it comes to Christianity? They call it post-Christian, which means Christianity has come and gone. They're post-Christian. They've lost their hope. And when you have no hope, there is despair. And when you're in despair, you would rather end it than continue on in that despair. Maybe some of you have been in that spot. I have. I've been in that spot where it would be much easier to end my life than to continue in the horrible despair that I was living in. And thought about it several times. Maybe some of you are there today. But we have hope. We have hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. The world needs hope, but it offers very little. When the disciples asked Jesus if it was time that he would restore Israel, it was out of sheer hope. This was what they were hoping for a new kingdom, a restoration of the kingdom of Israel, because they envisioned these glory days when Israel was governed by a king. And all the glory that Israel had, and how they were conquering heroes, how they defeated these people and that people. You know, Jesus knew the importance of hope. However, he did not want us to hope in the wrong things, like political change or reparation, or even hope in the past. You know, in 2008, this nation of ours made a common mistake. The majority of the people in this nation believed that one political party could restore the hope that was once lost. And so they voted for a Change. If we've learned anything from Jesus, we must learn that there is no hope in the world apart from Him. There is no hope in the world apart from Jesus. And there is definitely no hope in any one political party in the entire world. There is no hope. When Jesus assembled His disciples on the Mount of Olives right here in the book of Acts, He did not want to talk politics. It wasn't His goal. He didn't want to talk politics. He wanted to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Remember I said in verses 4 and 5, wait for the promise of the Father, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit a few days from now. And knowing this and putting it all together and sitting there listening to him and listening to all the things that he said about the Old Testament Scriptures and stuff, they go, oh, so that must mean you're going to restore Israel. No. He wanted to talk about the Spirit in their lives. He wanted to talk about the message of hope that they were going to bring to a world, to a dying world. The same is true today. The exact same thing is true. Jesus doesn't want to talk about politics. He doesn't want to talk about politics. He wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to bring a message of hope to our families, to loved ones, to those that we work with, to those that we see in our cities, in our places. It's the same message of hope. It hasn't changed. This message hasn't changed for 2,000 years. The message of hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. He told the disciples to get your priorities straight. Get your priorities straight. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put under his own authority. He was saying that worrying about the restoration of Israel is not your priority. Preaching the gospel, that's your priority. Brothers and sisters, I believe that worrying about the restoration of America is not our priority. I believe that preaching the gospel message is our priority. That's but well, we're here. And that's what you will hear when Jesus says, wait, and the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. We're to be his witnesses. That's the priority. That's what he's telling us today. We might even have to sit back and watch our beloved America be destroyed from within. But We can't concern ourselves with that. We must teach the message of Jesus Christ and give people hope. Because people are dying by the thousands day by day by day without hope. There is no hope in their lives. Start sharing the gospel message with your family. Start sharing the gospel message with people that live around you. Start telling them that Jesus loves them. Better yet, start showing them Jesus loves them. Put your words in action in their lives. Put your words where your mouth is and move forward. And tell them about Christ. Where is your priority? You know, we all have priorities in our lives, and some of these are good things. But our first priority should always be our relationship to the Lord. Our first priority in our life should be our relationship to the Lord. And that's scriptural. Jesus claimed, unless you hate your mother and hate your father, you cannot be my disciple. And you go, what? I love my dear old mom. I love my dad. And he didn't say the hate that we think of. He said, unless they are below me in priority... You can't be my disciple. Everything needs to be above everybody else, and he needs to be number one. He needs to be priority of our lives. So many of us get involved in so many different activities, good activities, wonderful activities, but where's your priority? Is your priority Christ first and everything else that comes that follows? That's the way it should be. That's the way he wants us. You know, we need to be busy doing the work of the kingdom of God and not allow our priorities to slip away. The teaching of the gospel is still the number one priority for us as Christians, as long as we live, as long as we're here on this earth, teaching the gospel message, living the gospel message, learning the gospel message. This passage that we're studying should exhort us to set our priorities straight. If nothing else, it should teach us the importance of changing the world through spiritual means rather than changing the world through physical or even worldly or political means, which can't be done, which makes no sense. That's why when people come to me, People come to me with prayer requests, and they go, you need to pray for these people. And I'm like, yes, sir, I will pray for them. My first prayer is that they would know Jesus. My first prayer is that they would know Jesus and be saved and come into a lively hope. And then if it be the Lord's will, He can work on healing. Because what good does it do to heal someone only to have them die and go to hell? That doesn't make any sense to me. I want them to be saved. Yes, I want healing. Don't get me wrong, I'm not hard-hearted. I want people to be healed. But I want them to be healed spiritually. Spiritually is where it counts. Because if there's one thing that's certain, if there's one thing that's a fact, ladies and gentlemen, is there, actually there's two facts. Number one, we all will die. And number two, Jesus is coming back. Those are the facts as I know it. And I want people to be saved into a lively hope. Saved into a love relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where the power is. That's where the power is. If anything, this passage should exhort us to a hope in Christ on this earth. One has to appreciate the curiosity of the disciples regarding end times. They asked Jesus a pretty good question. And you know what? It's one that many of us might be thinking about now. How many times have you said to yourself, gee, I wonder when the Lord's coming back. I wonder when He's coming back. You know, I'm tired of waiting around. I want Him back. When are you coming back, Lord? Come and take me home. I'm tired of this world. How many of you probably said that in your days? You wake up, the old back pain and the old things start hurting, Lord, come and get me. I'm ready to go. The hope is that every true believer should have the hope of the return in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, in similar terms, spoke to the Church of Rome in Romans eight, twenty two to twenty five. He says this for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only they, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved with this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for that we do not see, then we eagerly wait with perseverance. Perseverance, long-suffering, we wait for it. Our spirits within us groan to be with the Lord. Our spirits groan to be with the Lord and to be one with Him. And we groan for that realization of a complete salvation. When we see Him face to face, our salvation is complete and we won't need faith anymore. We won't have to worry about hope anymore. We'll see Him face to face. What a blessed day that'll be. Jesus told the disciples, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons. You're not to know. Now, Jesus spoke of this subject many times when he was with the disciples. And he spoke of this things, again, when they were back on the Mount of Olives, when it was called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the scholars call that the Olivet Discourse. I grew up learning it as the Sermon on the Mount, you know. But turn to chapter 24 of Matthew. Turn in your Bibles to chapter 24 of Matthew's Gospel for a minute, please. During this Olivet Discourse, Jesus now is speaking, and the disciples ask him a question again. They ask him a question which is very, very similar to what they ask him today. They want to know, what are the signs of the times? What are the signs of the times, and how will we know that the end of the age is coming? Tell us, he says in Matthew 24, verse 3, tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them and said, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows, he says they will deliver you up to the tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound and love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Then he talks about the great tribulation, verses 15 down. He talks about the coming of the Son of Man, what's going to happen. Then he starts to give the parable of the fig tree in there. And then in verse 36, in verse 36, he says this, But the day and the hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming, but know this, If the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. There used to be a great song out. I used to love it. It was called The Day Like Any Day. And it talked about how it's going to be a day like any day, other day, and you're going to get up and you're going to start doing your things, and you're going to be doing your things, and all of a sudden, bang, the trumpet will sound, boom, and we're out of here. What a day of liberation that will be. What a day we want to go there. But Jesus tells them. He talks to them and he refers to his coming. He tells the disciples that are questioning what signs are going to be. And so he proceeds to tell them about all the various signs that are going to happen and indicate his return. And then he gives them all the signs and the events that would take place. He says, watch. When you see these things happen. Now it's cool when you're living in this day and age because we can see things like this happening. I mean, last year, who was curious that there was one earthquake after another last year? Every time you turned around, there was an earthquake. You were curious like, whoa, wait a minute. It says something about earthquakes in the Bible. Gee, and you're watching and you're waiting. And this pestilence. I mean, the AIDS virus in Africa is a tragedy. There are billions of people down there dying. Is that the pestilence that he was talking about? Could be. It could certainly be. And all the other things, rumors of wars. You got Iran trying to make war with everybody in the entire world. We have a war going on in Afghanistan. We had a war in Iraq that we're still over there. People are dying for. And all these other little places. There's rumors of wars all over the place. Could this be the time? He says, watch. Watch. That's what he's referring to. Watch. Because he's coming soon. He's coming soon and going to take us home. You are sure.
0: Although our time is coming to a close for the day, you don't have to stop studying God's Word. We encourage all our listeners to spend time daily in the Bible, learning from the timeless text that your Creator has given you. If you'd like to listen to more of Pastor Dave's teachings from this series in Acts or explore messages from other books of the Bible, you can do so by visiting AssureHopeRadio.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to have updated messages sent right to your computer or phone. If you'd like a CD copy of today's message, we'd be happy to send you one. Just give us a call at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. We're so blessed to be able to share God's Word with you with each new edition of Assure Hope, but we want to encourage you to find a local church to attend regularly as well. Being a part of the body of Christ gives you a place to learn and grow with other imperfect people while providing an outlet for your unique God-given gifts. If you're in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you come by Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet each Sunday at 10 a.m. for worship and Bible study, and childcare is available. We're excited to have you join us. For more information and to get directions, visit assurehoperadio.com. That brings us to the end of our program for today. Thanks for tuning in to Pastor Dave's study in the book of Acts today. And we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.